Hello, welcome back to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. I am your host, Matthew Pfeiffer, and today we have on a very special guest. We have on Alicia Watson, affectionately known as Chocolate. She is someone, time has flown by, we're actually, we've actually been friends, close friends, for a couple of years at this point. Uh, she is an absolute inspiration to both men and women. She's someone, when I first met her, she was someone who was inspirational who I thought was inspirational to women, but then I found out that she not only inspires and touched my life, but and inspires and touches the lives of many of people who are around her, who have been in her presence. Her, her personality is contagious. Her laughter, her smile is contagious. And so we appreciate Chocolate. Thank you very much for gracing us with your presence. And, and we appreciate you hopping on. She's also the founder and CEO of Redeemed Women. And she is... Uh, also a speaker and someone who is just all over the place. It is hard to get in touch with her, but we are thankful, thankful, thankful that we have her today. So Chocolate, thank you very much for being a part. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get started with Redeemed Women? What is Redeemed Women all about? Well, first of all, thank you, May. I really appreciate you for having me on your platform. Um, I think the experience um, will give me experience at um, growing my platform. So thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this today. Um, I really appreciate you and I'm so grateful for our friendship. Let me start with that. You know, I have some etiquette. I know how to start with thank you first. Um, secondly, um, it's an honor and a privilege to be founder and CEO of Redeemed Women. Redeemed Women is a 501c3 nonprofit centrally located in South Dallas. We're right across the street from the state fair of Texas for many people that do not know where we're located. But we are an organization, in short story, we're an organization that helps women and young girls overcome generational poverty. I grew up in generational poverty, and that's why I started Redeeming Women. That's my why. I had a baby at 14 years old. I was homeless. My mother, drug addict, dad, an alcoholic. Um, my mom died four years ago of drug overdose at eight. My dad is still alive, but I don't have a relationship with him because he rapes me. Um, and I was undereducated until I had amazing uh, mentors in my life that came alongside me to empower me to be great. And um, so that's what's made me the woman that I am today. But I've just seen the struggle, but I've also seen some highs in my life as well. And um, because of that, I I live and work primarily in a, in a Black community. And I just, I understand the experiences and I sew up to do life with people every day that look like me and not um, because um, my story is a relatable story. So that's um, the why behind Redeem Women and what we are and who we, and who we are. And um, we're almost seven years old. We'll be seven years old in March. And I really, um, thank you. Thank you so much. It, it's a hard journey, but somebody got to do it, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. But um, I'm most proud um, to say that you know, currently we're sitting in owning every piece of real estate that we have. Um, and so for a black woman being in the black community, um, having ownership in this community really, really means something because um, I work and live in a community where gentrification is really on the rise right now. And it's happening everywhere, but really on the rise in my community. Um, and so, um, but I'm also most proud of us getting ready to step into a new challenge of building affordable housing um, for women that may not get the opportunity to um, live and work in a safe place, right? And so 
many of the women that we work with at our organization come with blemishes on their background. I don't have a blemish on my background, but my mother did and my father did. So I understand what that looks like. And, um, but they're working low income and uh, jobs trying to make it and they just need somebody to give them a chance. And so um, our apartments will be 18 to 20 units and you have to have verifiable income. It will not be government based. Um, and you will be able to apply and not have to worry about your blemishes but pay an affordable rent. Um, uh, when I say affordable, I mean not not up under Dallas standards affordable. Yeah really affordable to what you make an hour for $13, $15 an hour. And so I'm really most proud about that. Um, we just bought the land in July. And um, and so things are moving fast on that end. And so, yeah, I've seen a lot of lives changed, over 6,000 women so far. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So really glad about that. We've so finished almost a thousand, It's almost 1,000 women per year that you yes. guys have been up and out, up and running. Yes, yeah. We grinding hard over here, man. We mm -hmm. grind hard over here. I tell people all the time, this this work is not for the faint because right. you really will want to throw in the towel. Yeah. Um, I came out of, um, when I graduated high school, I graduated high school a year early. I was supposed to come out in 90, uh, in 2000, and I came out in 99. Because I one, I just couldn't stay in school, and I was a single mom and had a baby. Um, and so I went to school for early childhood education, and I did that for 10 years. Um, and then I got into transportation and logistics when my daughter turned 10 because I was like, I want to do something different. And so, you know, no one could have ever told me that I would have been the CEO of my own company. Right. Mm -hmm. And managing all the things which um, you want to throw in the towel on someday. Yes. But one of the things that I think about is this work is bigger than me. Uh -huh. And um, and I know that it's bigger than me and all these life experiences and this journey is because um, I'm supposed to then empower other people to go be great. And so I, I get I love that. I get to do it every day and I love it. You left a you left a, a lot of meat for us to talk about when you gave us a bit of your background. I know that a lot of the listeners are gonna want to hear more and more of your story. We're gonna get into that here in a second. I want to talk um, a little bit more about redeemed women and the uh, and get into the stories of the women that you work with. Mm. Uh, we oftentimes talk about poverty. We oftentimes talk when we see it in the news, we see it all over social media. But with you actually working hands-on, you know, behind the scenes, yeah. what are some things that people who struggle in poverty deal with on a regular basis that maybe people don't get to see, that they don't get to hear, uh, that that we need to know? Well, one of the things that I like to highlight is, for example, uh, toiletry supplies. Um, a lot of our friends, we don't say clients at Redeemed Women, we say yeah. friends. Uh -huh. um, and a lot of our friends are on government assistance. And a lot of people do not understand that government assistance don't buy things like toiletry. So when uh -huh. I say assistance, I mean like wick and food stamps. Wick and food stamps only buys things for the baby, or groceries for your household. So what happens if I need tissue, tampons, deodorant, laundry soap? What happens with that? Well, what what typically happens is I go without it. And I understand that because I have been the woman that's been on government assistance. Matt, one of the things I tell people all the time is I'm not just talking the talk. I've walked the walk. So I understand, right? Um, but um, a lot of people don't understand that. And so what happens is um, then, you know, kids don't get medicine. 
because parents, moms don't have money to buy things like that. And, um, and then it's just like you go and you get resources from another center that really is just like, um, a check in the box and then they, they send you out the door. We yeah. take a holistic relational approach here. And so what I like to say at Redeeming Women is we are a hand up and not a hand down. So mm-hmm. that means women can actually come here and volunteer and work for us, clean, you know, wiping down walls or sweeping the floors or cleaning out our cabinets. And they get a toiletry bag of nice name brand items. Actually, we don't shop at the dollar store, right? Yeah. And so there's Tide, there's Game, there's All, there's um, there's Febreze, there's not, you know, we we... We take a tangible approach, but with dignity. And so mm-hmm. they work for these items. People get to shop these items on our Amazon wish list, which is located right on our directly on our website. And the women we serve, they get to come and work for these items. So they came to a job and they got paid in the items that they need. And so that's something that a lot of people don't know. Another thing that a lot of people don't know is we're in a food desert. We're in a transportation desert. So food desert, I'm going to tell you why this matters to me, because it is a three and a half hour route bus ride to the nearest grocery store in my community. Wow! And 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 people say, "Well, chocolate, how do you know this? You know how I know it." One second, um, chocolate. I, um, I, I don't want to. Um, can we? Can you explain what a food desert is? Uh, a lot of people may not know what a food desert is before before we continue. Yes, I can explain that. Yes, so a food desert is just actually just what I see where um, people lack access to sustainable, healthy, nutritionist food within a three-mile radius. Um, and so we are also in a red line district. Red line just means that there are no resources in this particular community. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's Googleable. So I tell people, Google redlining and Google food desert. And that'll give you a better explanation. But it, but you can Google those, uh, those words and it'll kind of explain to you what that means. But that's just what that means for our neighborhood. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. And so three and a half hour round trip bus ride to the grocery store. And I know this because I have rode the bus. I have a car, man. I got off my car and literally from my house, I walked to the bus stop. I didn't drive to the bus stop. I didn't do a parking ride. I walked, I Thank walked you. to the bus stop and I got on the bus and I, and I rode the bus to find out how long it was going to take me to get to the nearest grocery store. Literally, when I got off the bus, I cried. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I, like, literally bawled my eyes out. And I think that's important to know. I mean, not only were we talking about a three-hour, you know, three-hour round-trip ride, but we're also talking about we're, we're, this isn't going to pick up one item. We're talking about to the grocery store. To the grocery you know, store. So for, the, for those of you thinking about this, I mean, imagine a, a you know, someone in a situation where they have multiple kids. You know, yeah. uh, even even I don't even want to say a large family, but multiple family members, even if it's just two or three kids and you have multiple bags that you're bringing onto the onto the bus. Uh, I mean, any, anyone who's I mean, everyone at this point should know what it's like carrying multiple bit different bags into the house from the car. Right. Imagine doing that onto the bus and then onto, you know, back into the house. Uh, who knows if the bus is going to be crowded that day, if it's not going to be crowded that day, if it's going to be on time that day. So then all of your, your cold items uh, start to start to warm up. All of your uh, warm items, if, you, uh, if you're if you getting something that's warm, is going to start to turn cold. Uh, so uh, so it's a it's a major, major problem. And most, most people in these type of situations 
probably can't afford a car or might struggle with something like Uber or Lyft. Yeah. Yeah. And then not only that, like the other thing I think about is it it prevents you from buying those those cold staples that you need, especially in Texas heat. We already know that Texas heat is ridiculous. And so imagine me trying to buy ice cream for my kids today. Well, it's going to melt by the time I get home. So yep. my kids are going to go without ice cream, like a simple basic in the summertime or, <laughs> you know, ground beef to make hamburgers. And by the time I get home, it's, it, you know, it could be ruined, you yep. know? And so um, those things are very, very important to me um, to make sure that I highlight. But then also not only, not only are we are a food desert and a, a transportation desert, we're also a laundromat desert. Matt, a lot of us, mm-hmm. we take the have the laundry facilities for granted. Mm-hmm. I remember when I uh, was launching Redeeming Women and I was talking to my ex-husband about um, getting a washer and dryer for our and he said to me, well, why does it matter about having a washer and dryer? I said, well, because our friends don't have access to that. Uh-huh. And he said, oh, my God, I never even thought about it because we have a washer and dryer. Yeah. But see, I grew up where I had to wash my clothes in the bathtub and in the sink. And yeah. I grew up where I had to use a dishwasher liquid to wash my clothes. So I know that if that was the case for me and I was in poverty years ago, what it is now and people are uh, the, the 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 friends that we work with now are involved. Yeah. And that's the thing. They're doing the same thing. They're washing their clothes on their hand. They're washing it in the bathtub. They're figuring out the best that that the best thing that they can do. And I thought, this is ridiculous. And I thought about um the laundromat that is in our neighborhood. We do have one laundromat in our neighborhood. But if I tell you it's not worth putting your clothes in, you might come out of there with something else in your clothes. Mm-hmm. You put your yeah. clothes in there. Uh-huh. Now, I think that there's a perception. I think there's a perception and, you know, there's a narrative also out there that people who are living in situations like this have the ability to pick themselves up or just pull themselves out or if they would just take care of their money better or, you know, you hear all of these type of things. But yeah. but the problem that you're describing is that they're also they're they're already below they're already sacrificing things that they shouldn't have to sacrifice toilet paper transportation you know uh, so for them to quote unquote save and quote unquote do better with their money uh, is just not realistic when they're already going out going without a lot of their basic needs already right right and like not only that I think along with that narrative is is we forget that there are systems in place that were, that are still in place to hold minorities down. Um, and so this is a systematic issue. Uh, our governmental system needs to get better um, and take advice for people that are on the ground, like me. I'm on the ground. I see things that are going on every day. And talk to the neighbors. Talk to the community. The community can tell you what they need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what they need. What happens is no one talks to the community they talk at the community. Uh-huh. There's a difference. Uh-huh. And then they show up trying to tell the community, this is what you need. This is what we're going to do here. But that doesn't work because these neighbors have been here 40 and 50 years. They know uh-huh. exactly what they need. And yeah. then like not only is that, the lack of education, it makes no sense that we live in a we live in a neighborhood where our public schools here have like raggedy books and yeah. the teachers are underpaid and the school is looks like trash. Like, why is that? When I go up to North Dallas, it doesn't look like that. Right. Mm-hmm. 
you know. No, that that and, definitely and we, definitely in North Dallas it doesn't. No, you know, and so that it it irks me. Yeah. And um and I don't like it because it is a poor assumption. And you know, I think about that with my own stuff. You know, the statistics says that because I had a baby at fourteen years old, both my parents had eight kids, I was gonna be a the statistic, right? So I was supposed to have five to six kids uh -huh. living up under a bridge and strung out. Man, I've never yeah. done I don't even like this. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean I saw my mom do that. So but the statistics will say that, but that's not the case. What I needed was somebody to come in, educate me and empower me to be great, walk alongside me and mm -hmm. then help me uh, um, with my vision, goals and dreams to see those things through. Yeah, that's what I need. What you what you just described was is was called reparenting in, yeah. the, in the mental health world. Right. Um, because there's a lot of steps that are skipped whenever people have a, uh, a you know, have a troubled upbringing. And that's true of myself, too. You know, I witnessed a lot of uh, domestic violence growing up and, you know, had I not had uncles and other people that were and coaches that were involved, you know, I would have had a poor, uh, a, a poor visual of what, of how men treat women. But I had right. multiple, multiple men who treated their, their wives or girlfriends, you know, um, like, like treasure. And right. so, and so I was able to be reparented. Thankfully, at a very young age, but it's never too late to go through a reparenting process. And that's what an actual healing process looks like. It's it's similar to I always compare it to when someone is trying to learn how to walk again after going through an accident. What is that called? That's called physical therapy. That's really what mental health therapy is, is that you're being reparented on, on a lot of those building blocks that you have skipped. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about that process for you did you have like a person was it uh, um, a system is that uh, and is that how you decided to kind of give back to people who have similar backgrounds is what you did yeah so um I I one of the things that I always say is um I was I was positioned to see the help around me and I took advantage of the help around me and I tell anybody listening to this take advantage of the help around you first of all so I had access to being in the the, uh, the teen parenting program at, in high school. And uh, that is where I got my first mentor. I was 16 years old. I had my daughter when I was 14. Um, I got my first job at Burger King when I was 15. And I got into the mentoring program at 16 in high school. And um, I had never been exposed to a mentor. I had never even been exposed to someone that cared about me that looked different from me. Because my first mentor was a white woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember telling her that my dad had raped me and she said, well, we need to get you some help to talk about that. So she exposed me to therapy services. So here I am, I'm 16 years old and I'm being exposed to therapy services where I can have a safe space to unload and release a lot of the hurt and trauma and pain that I had walked through. Um, is that scary? Absolutely. I remember I stopped going because I was scared. I was scared that um, somebody was going to find out that I told somebody was going to, you know, harm me and abuse me because I had already been through that. I mean, there were many different things, but I stuck with it. Um, and then, um, I, when I, when I moved to Texas, so I was born in Texas, raised in California when my parents divorced and then came back to Texas when I was 10, because I had bone cancer and I ended up moving in with my grandparents, my dad, my dad's parents. And my grandmother was very, very instrumental in my life during this time as well. So I had the mentors on one end, from the parents and education program in high school.
I also had a what I call a praying grandmother mm-hmm. that um, was very instrumental in my life. She helped me with my daughter until she died. My daughter was uh, two years old when she died. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I was with her for four years, but those four years that I was with my grandmother were very, very instrumental and pivotal in my life. And my grandmother would always tell me, baby, you're going to be something. I had never heard that before. I had never heard anyone tell me that I was going to be something. I'm like, be what? Like, what do you be? You know, and she would always tell me that I was going to be something and that I was very beautiful. And again, those were words that I hadn't heard. My mother always told me that I was ugly, that um, I wasn't going to be nothing. I was going to be trash. Um, Very talk, talk down to me. Both my parents actually did. You would think that two people that birthed me would not talk to me like that, but they did. Um, and so, um, so for me, it was my grandmother. And it, and then I, I, outside of being exposed to high school, I just opened my mouth and started asking for the help that I needed. And mm-hmm. I just, I just learned early on. My grandmother would always say, you get not cause you ask not. Mm-hmm. And I never knew what that meant until I was out on my own to be like, okay, I need this, but do I let my shame, my fear, and all the things, uh, you know, uh, captivate me to make me not ask for what I need, or do I just go for it? And so I did, and I got the things that I needed. So I got a no too, but most of the time I got a yes because people really believed in me and they saw that I was really trying to have a better life. When you're going through all that uh, that story, you briefly skipped over. I, I, uh, this this shows you how how intent I am whenever I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you skimmed over the fact that you had bone, that all of this you were doing while having bone cancer. Did, did I hear that right? Yes, you heard that right. So one, one of the things I wanted to ask, because you, you've been through a lot, and it seems like you know every time we pull back a layer of your story, there's another layer that is underneath all of this. So everything that you just described, you, uh, you coming forward with your story about how your dad raped you with... Uh, you know, you finding mentorship, you asking for help. Uh, so you were also struggling with bone cancer at the, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that. And I kind of want to know more about, or if you could tell the audience about how did you get through struggle while also simultaneously dealing with even more struggle? Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes people hop on a podcast like this, or, you know, whenever they talk about things, you know, it, it, everything just seems to get brighter where in your situation, it seemed like it was getting darker rather than getting brighter. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, my, so because my mother was a drug addict, she never really took me to the doctor. Like I needed to go. And, um, so I hit my, uh, bottom left leg on an iron bench at, in school, literally elementary school. And my leg swelled up the size of a golf ball. And it was there for about three weeks. Um, and finally the school reported my mom to CPS for letting this knot sit on my leg for three weeks without taking me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they take me to the hospital and they do a biopsy on it to find out that it's a rare type bone cancer, only 3% chance of living. Wow. So I'm, yep, literally it was the, the, it, the cancer came from some form in Africa. They had never seen it before. I'm very rare, very, very rare, 3% chance. So, you know, it's rare. Um, and so they do the biopsy, they find out that it's cancer and then they want to start me on chemo and do radiation and all the things. So they start me on these things. Well, um, and then they think I'm in remission, but they also give my mom a list of 
things that she needs to do to care for me. And she did not do that. How old were you during, during all this? I was 10. Wow. Yeah, I was 10 years old. And then it reoccurred when I was 11 in the exact same spot, exact same spot, man. And um, so by that time, my mom is in prison. My grandmother on my mom's side has custody of me. And the doctors are like, there's nothing we can do. We, she needs to see a child specialist. So in Texas, my dad's family is here. And my dad's family um, what I, is what I would call middle class. Um, so they had a little bit more money than my mom and their family. <laughs> Um, and so they were like, well, you know, it's best if she go to the children's hospital. My grandmother sent me here to be with my dad's family. And, um, I go to the children's hospital and I've been in remission, um, now, um, over 20 something years now in my leg. And so they removed a, a bone and a half. So I still have my full leg, but I have a bone and a half that's removed, um, from my leg. So you can kind of see the dents in my leg. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then in 2013, I was diagnosed with a uh, breast cancer of my left breast, um, not related. Um, and I don't have a history of cancer that I know of, but I also don't know exactly my full history like that because I was raised in foster care a little bit too. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so went through that 10 years ago and then 10 years later, here I am today being diagnosed with breast cancer in the same spot. So crazy. Left side, same spot, um, and it is, uh, it's, it is malignant. It kind of spreads on my lungs, you know. Um, and so I'm in the journey now, chemo and all the things. When you, you say now, you mean currently? Currently, right now. Wow. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Currently, right now, and um, yeah, I found out this. So ten years ago, I found out October 16th, and now I just found out again October 3rd. So mm -hmm. literally, same month. 10 years later wow um, yeah and so i'm i'm currently in treatment right now having chemo i do chemotherapy every day and um i just started um literally like a month ago so i don't know exactly what the full treatment plan will be but um also um um it's fresh in my lungs and so um we're just we're you know going through the process and so um it, it's this is where we are but, you yeah. know, I just, I continue to show up and I continue to keep my smile long and continue to work because that's what I really love to do. Yeah. And, um, but I, like, I hope that the listeners know that, you know, we all have a journey and a story, right? And for me, what I've learned is that I'm a plot, I'm, I'm very aggressive. So I apply pressure to anything that I do. Um, and so just because this is where I am right now, doesn't mean I'm going to throw in the towel because I'm not. Right. And I know that to be true because I'm, I'm hearing for those of you who are listening, I'm hearing this for the first time myself. And so, uh, you know, I, I mean, up, up until now, I mean, I, you've been, you've been working hard, you've been doing everything, uh, you know, as, as normal. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So, um, I'm. I'm I'm grateful that I still have my energy to be able to get up and do things as normal right now. Yeah. For for someone who might be, you know, um, you know, what's your mindset in dealing with this everyday battle that you're that you're going through? Uh, you know, what what would you say keeps you motivated to have A that have the energy or B to keep going or C to apply that pressure that you keep talking about? I think for me, you know, one of the things that I try to tell people is I lean into my faith a lot, uh, man. 
Um, I am a believer. Um, and so I have a personal relationship with God. I wouldn't say that I subscribe to all the churches and doing all the things, but my personal relationship is pretty solid. And so yep. for me, because of that, I lean into my faith a lot and I try to surround myself with like-minded, positive people. I am very, uh, I try to be a very encouraging, positive person to others. And so I learned to do that with myself. So like, for example, um, in my bathroom, I have like a little dry erase board next to my, my mirror and I work, I write words of affirmations on it. Literally, I keep it there for a week, then I change it out and I put a new, new words of affirmation. Um, I have a little something taped on my bathroom mirror to just encourage me. Um, I try to li listen to and watch uplifting things, put those things in my mind and in my spirit. And, um, like I, I, I bicycle a lot cause I, I love to ride my bicycle. Um, I like outdoors. I'm a, I'm an outdoors girl, mm -hmm. I'm, I, except for the bugs. I don't like the bugs, yeah. but you know, but, um, so I, I just try to surround myself with those kind of things. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, what I always say is I just really what it is, is I just really try to lean into my faith. That's what keeps me going. And again, just remembering like what I started out with this thing is it's bigger than me. And so because I know that it's bigger than me, I want to be around to see some of the thing uh, flourish of where I planted some seeds. at. And so, you know, one of the things I always know is we get to plant the seed. Sometimes we water it and sometimes we see it grow. And sometimes we see none of it. And I'm right now, what I'm doing is I have, I planted some, I've seen some grow, I'm watering, I'm doing all the things. And so, um, so that keeps me going. That motivates me to keep going because it's bigger than me and lives are depending on me. They're depending on this smile. They're depending on this hug. They're depending on this positive energy. And that's if they know, that's if they have a, a, a holistic approach in their life or not. That doesn't matter but they're still dependent on that. Like, hey, your energy, your vibe is everything. And I want some of it. And like you use the word contagious. People tell me that all the time. Like your smile, your hugs, your energy is contagious. And I, I care about those things. So that's what keeps me going. One of the things, uh, what, what, what do you feel like you need now? Hmm, that's a good question. I feel like what I need right on this season is my, I need my friendship mm -hmm. and I need them to understand like, um, and I think they do. Let me just say this, but I just need them to understand that I'm not reclining. To, I have 50 right now. I'm currently sitting at 55 unread text messages. Mm -hmm. 55. I'm yeah. never let my text messages get that. Now they get kind of out of hand. Don't get, yeah. but 55 is a little excessive for me yeah. right now. Um, and so I'm currently sitting at that and, you know, literally one friend told me the other day, she was like, I, I texted you three days ago and I just thought you were mad at me. And I'm like, girl, I'm sick. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't have time to be mad at nobody right, right now, you know? Um, and don't let the lies, don't, don't let those lies get in your head to make you think that it's not that it's just that I'm processing. And so I think I need that. I need, um, um, I just. Uh, I, I, what it, it really, what I'm saying is I need some grace in how I operate yeah. my professional life. That's really what I'm saying. My yeah. personal life, I think outside of spending time with friends, I don't need things, but I like, I just, I love relationships, man. I love people. So I like spending time. I want to go to the park with my friends. I want to go boxing. I want to go to the gym. I want to go to dinner or like not even always out to eat though, but like 
I want to go do things that I've not been exposed to. I want them to yeah. expose me to things that I've never even heard about. Like, yeah. that's what I need right now um, to keep me going. Yeah. Yeah. Chocolate, this has been absolutely amazing. Your story, I, I we could talk for, for <laughs> literal days. I think that and we, we've talked for, for several hours at, at, uh, at a couple of times. And so uh, we'll have to definitely have you back on at some point in time because I know there's there's a ton of questions that I could I could ask even more. Um, but while we have you, tell people where they can find you at, where they can find not only uh, you, uh, but not only connect with you, but also connect with Redeemed Women. They want to donate if they want to learn more. Maybe there's so, someone that might need help from Redeemed Women. Uh, where can they find or where can they connect with you at? Yeah, I'm proud to say that people can find us online. Everything is digital right now, right? So redeemedwomen.org, R-E-D-E-E-M-E-D-W-O-M-E-N.org is where you can find out information about Redeemed Women. We're also on social media, uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Redeemed Women Dallas. And so they can like, follow and share there. Me personally, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well at Watson Chocolate. And they can find me there. You can also, there's a there's a contact page on the Redeem Women website that if somebody wanted to reach out to me directly and, you know, shoot me an email or contact me directly, they can call the office. All the information is on the website or they can submit an email and I'll, I'll get those emails as well. All right. And I am Matthew Pfeiffer. I am your host. And it doesn't matter where you are listening to this at or whether you are watching this over on YouTube. Comment down below. Let chocolate know something that maybe you have learned or something that that has touched your life or has inspired you. Also, make sure you go to the show notes, connect with her and all of her, all of the areas that she just mentioned, Instagram, Facebook, uh, connect to Redeem Women, and also make sure that you guys are donating or following or supporting in any way that you know how. With all that being said, thank you very much, and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you. <laughs>